0: One of the best parts about working in the field of astronomy communication are the pictures. You see these incredible pictures taken by the Hubble Space Telescope or JWST pictures from the surface of Mars pictures of Pluto. These are incredible and they make this science tangible in a way that really no other field does. And When you look behind the scenes, there's an incredibly complicated process to take images taken by a telescope that could be orbiting the Earth, that could be more than a million kilometers away from Earth to transmit it to our planet, to process the images, so that the scientists can work on them. And at the same time, there's something to be said for making these images beautiful, so that we can appreciate them. I mean, who hasn't got an image from the Hubble Space Telescope as the background on their phone or just felt inspired when you see things like the pillars of creation or the helix nebula, or the surface of of Mars, it really takes us, transports us to these places. So It's a lot of work to produce one of these images. And I think the best person in the industry right now is a woman named Judy Schmidt. And she's not a scientist, but she is one of the most skilled and capable image processing processors out there. She goes through the Hubble archive, the JWST archive, as well as archives from other spacecraft and pulls in the raw data and then works with it in Photoshop to be able to produce images that are just objectively beautiful. And so I had a chance to sit down and chat with her. She's made some great tutorials out on the internet so you can learn how she finds the raw data, how she processes them, brings them into Photoshop, makes aesthetic choices about how they should look. We talk about that. Some of the science that she's actually been able to get involved in and really how you can go through this process as well. I think this interview is really important if you want to get into astrophotography, if you want to take pictures of space it's more important to learn how to process images than to take good pictures. Because if you take good pictures, but you can't process them, then you really can't make these images as good and as exciting as you know they can be. But if you learn to get really good at working with the images, then the final product will be really great. So here is a great conversation with Judy Schmidt. We talk about all these and more. I hope you enjoy. Hey Judy, how's it going? Hi, Fraser. It's going good. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get into this?
1: Well, uh, about 10 years ago, ESA did this thing called Hubble's Hidden Treasures. And they provided some uh, resources, like some tutorials and stuff, and mostly just let everyone know, hey, the data are out here for anyone any member of the public in the world to go download and do whatever you want with them. You could make mouse pads out of them if you want. But anyway, once, once I learned that it was like, what really? (laughs) I did not know. I thought, you know, I thought in order to get like make Uh. Space pictures. I would have to get my own telescope. Yes, learn learn how to go to a place where there's dark skies, and I'm just like, oh, it would never be very good. <laughs> anyway, so, so so you
0: had been into space and and wanted to do astrophotography, but didn't have the the gear and the and didn't know where to start.
1: I probably never would have. Like, if anything, maybe buy some time on a remote a remote telescope of some sort but no i mean i i always like it's just it's expensive and you have to go and freeze your butt off and i mean kudos to the people who who do that who actually sit with their telescopes out in the cold of night and take some really good astrophotos Or I don't know, like people who just are so into it that they buy a whole, like they build an observatory with with a retracting roof and everything for their telescope. So that's amazing.
0: (laughs) The the hilarious part about this is like, I, you know, we did a sort of like a, a session on the telescope that I'm using. And it was, you know, it was good. We got some great pictures and you were able to make some really nice nice images out of them. But in the in the end, you're like, this is pointless. I have Hubble. And right? I had no <laughs> argument for you. <laughs> I was like,
1: I I like Hubble and JWST now. I just get really lost in exploring all the the beautiful pictures yeah. that come down from them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So And so then you, so you, you worked on this project for the European space agency. So what, what were they looking for you to create?
1: Well, it was a contest. So they they just wanted people to go into the archive and find things that were never posted publicly as an image release by them or, you know, space telescope before. And I won third place. There were obviously some other people who knew what they were doing uh, <laughs> better than I knew at that point, because yeah. I was I had just started. And there, uh, some other people who had joined in, they they had already done some processing and they kind of knew how to like look for things in the archive. And I was just like, I- the first thing I did was I'm like I'm staring at the search bar. I'm like, what do what do I even search for? So I typed in cat. I like cats, okay? And for... (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome. Something actually came up when I searched for cat. I didn't think it would, but it did. It turned out to be that Cheshire Cat gravitational lens. Yeah, so cat actually pulled up the Cheshire Cat. And that actually eventually turned into a semi-famous, like gravitational lensing system Hmm. because it does look like a smiling face in space cnn even posted it not my picture but later on when i I think ESA did a version they they put it up and it was way better than mine because i mean that was my first ever picture later on i did redo it and like the redo i'm like super happy with but you know it it did not it, it did not gain any fame yeah
0: no, now, what was your experience with image editing tools, working with astronomical files and so on before that?
1: I I was very knowledgeable. I'm, i would already been working in Photoshop ever since you know I was a high school kid and I could pirate the program. Uh, They've been putting public images of, say from the Mars Rovers or Cassini for a long time and I kind of knew about those but that's even a different file format but yeah I I didn't even know how to do those and I I feel like like those programs have a much more robust following because of the way they do their their, their image releases and meanwhile uh like Hubble it, it just kind of silently goes into the archive there's no website that's like, okay, this is up here now. You can go get the data and process mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So you just kind of go there on your own and, and find it. You can set up alerts, but that's, I mean, it's not like an alert that will tell you there's new stuff. It's like you have to know, you have to go find something that's already been imaged and or scheduled, I think. Mm-hmm. There's some AWSC things that end up in there that are scheduled, but not actually observed yet, maybe? I don't know. But anyway, once it's there, and it, if it's not public, you can say, okay, send me an alert when it does go public. And you can sort of, right. like, get right on top of it then. But yeah, there's no public outward facing, not even a a Twitter account, like a bot that will say, hey, this is our new couple picture. I think somebody set up one for JWST.
0: There's a, there's a bot that tells you what Hubble is looking at, what the target is. And, and Webb will release a schedule of all of the targets for the week. So this week, while we're talking, they're imaging uh, Fomalhaut, which is a star, the Eye of Sauron star that people have probably seen. And they're also imaging like a brown dwarf and they're imaging a, a pretty cool galaxy that Hubble has taken some pictures of edge on. And but we won't see the data for those for another year,
1: right? Right. Yeah. So
0: you kind of have to put make a mental note. Twelve months from now, come back around, dig can, that data out.
1: You can go in the archive and like select them all, and then say, "Let me know when these mm-hmm. go public." But yeah, 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 you have to go in and do that first.
0: It's hard to explain, but I guess like my job is as a journalist, and so I have become very familiar with the way the machine runs, where A researcher puts together a proposal to NASA or to the folks at at the Space Telescope Science Institute. They get time on Hubble. They do their research. They get their data. A year later, or at some point, they write their paper. They publish the results. Someone at their university thinks that's cool and wants to write a press release about it. And if they're lucky, somebody knows what they're doing with images and is able to pull out some interesting images out of their research work and 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 attach it to the paper. And that might help them get more, more results. And then, and then at the same time, there is people at SCSI who do image processing when they find really cool pictures, and they'll release those as press releases as well. So you you kind of have these two trains of of images that are coming out of, of Hubble. And you've got a similar situation with web. You have the people at web who are going like, this is a cool picture. This shows how cool web is. But you've also got a university that's producing a press release and whatever. But you're a completely third party. You are just looking through archive data that in many cases, nobody has looked at beyond writing a scientific paper about it with an artistic eye the
1: astronomers themselves they're they're always paying attention to their favorite topics and objects so yeah they're but that's a relatively small circle i mean arguably it's the most important people to look at it but my favorite thing is i'm not even looking for what they're looking at necessarily like i i have a very broad interest i'm not super specific like oh i want to look at just agns i want to look at at just planetary nebulas or just uh new newly forming stars or just planets or even one specific planet i'm just like i'm gonna look at an image and whatever i see i and a lot of times i'm pulling in old like because i want all the data right i don't just want my observations well i'm not making any observations so I have no like. I'm no. I have no bias for like. Oh, this is my brand new. This is my little baby. That you know, mm-hmm. I got Hubble time on, and <laughs> so I just pull it all in. I say, okay, I can use this and this and this and this. And a lot of times, I get to see like weird little like faint. I don't know if they're stars or brown dwarfs or like like the faintest little stars that are just like moving in the picture. And I, and I wish I knew more about them, but like it's, it's proper motion of stars in the galaxy. It's funny the way once you get to like Hubble's level of resolution, you can just see the galaxy is moving.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not stationary at all. And it, while it's cool, it also does pre- pre- present some like processing challenges. If the, if the star happens to be very bright and very fast moving, then it can like really make the image look funky.
0: Right. This was, this was an image that I saw that you had done recently where you had, had compared the Hubble data to the James Webb data. Yes. And some of the stars had moved so much that it made it difficult to line everything up in the image for you.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost guaranteed that, that if there's 10 years difference that they've moved, there's at least a few of them that have moved a lot. Wow. And, yeah, some yeah. of them are moving so fast that it, it only takes a couple of years. And you can notice, I mean, usually a couple years you're, you're safe, but yeah, you're, it, like just a few pixels makes it difficult to get really a good alignment though.
0: But I think about this, like it's very strange to me that you'll have a researcher scientist who will be working on a galaxy that is, you know, subjectively very beautiful. The and 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 could be this in in is has a nice resolution it's been captured in a way that is very aesthetic and for them they just want the spectroscopic data on the active galactic nuclei and add it to their data field add it to their database so and then move on and and they don't spend any time thinking like wow that is an amazing galaxy that's so beautiful you think they do they
1: do they They absolutely do i think they're it would be a very rare astronomer who doesn't actually take a moment to be like, Oh, wow. You know, cause that's kind of like what gets them into it. You And yeah, there's the, well, I really just need to get, get this paper done and get these measurements taken and do the science. But they, they tell me, you know, like, I just didn't have time. They, a lot of yes. them do know how to process They don't have images, the resources. They don't necessarily have time yeah. to do it and do it beautifully. Like yes. they can make something pretty quick, but you know they're not going to be like me where I sit here and nitpick the image and be like, oh, this is a cosmic ray. Oh, here's some stray light. Oh, I got to match the background and get it all nice and smooth. So, yeah, I feel like I can really fill in that uh th- like there's a need for it and I've of course made um, that YouTube tutorial on uh, processing mm-hmm. Hubble data with, with Photoshop and I I've actually gotten quite a few people to start doing it too and since uh, JWST came out I feel like like there's there's even a few more who just
0: mm-hmm.
1: got interested there's a uh, like some guy, I didn't even, uh, I didn't even know until now. I don't even know who he is, but he's he's uh, he's been processing it with, uh, I think on a Linux system, and I was very surprised at that. He's he's writing his own scripts to try to like fill in the stars.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which I so- will explain. Stars put like the the bright stars have like a black circle in the middle because they're they're overexposed and whatever for whatever reason, the pipeline is instead of making it bright white is dropping that 100% white down and making it black, sort of black. It's not even 100% black. It's like blotchy. It's really, it's really annoying to deal with.
0: <laughs> right. Cause you have to, you have to decide like, are you going to try and swap them out with a lighter color and what color? And <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, obviously I need to fill it with with 100% white, it's just going to be the most ath- aesthetic choice. But because it's sort of fuzzy, and I can't just use the magic wand tool to automatically select all pixels mm. that are at zero, because it's not all zero, and there's this fuzzy edge around it. It, it just—it's annoying. And I'm like, I hope, I hope the pipeline gets better. I know they're working on yeah. it, but aesthetics are probably not their number
0: one priority so uh, okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna rescind what i said completely so the astronomers know that these things are beautiful right, they just right. don't have You're
1: human right of
0: course of course right it is it's it's like i don't know an ecologist in the middle of a forest every now and then stopping just going wow this place is amazing um but they don't have the resources they don't have either the skills to to bring this T- this image of a galaxy or a nebula or a planet or whatever to the level that it could be. And they don't have the time They're They're trying to gather the data and then they got to move on. They got to, they got to attend the department chair meeting and they got to f- seek funding and they've got to talk to the public relations and they got to yeah. do interviews with me and they don't have time to sit. Yeah. They don't have time to sit down and, and process these images and you can swoop in and, You don't, you're not trying, you don't have to be at the department chair meeting. You're not worried about the science. You're there to say, how do I make, how do I make this raw data into something as beautiful as possible?
1: Yes, exactly. My biggest worry is uh, my baby coming in. (laughs) That's actually like, I have had like so little time of just like where I can just get, you know two hours, two hours would be good. He comes in after about 30 minutes usually. And I just feel so interrupted. It, it like, it just,
0: it, well, both of mine have moved out and now have, you know, apartments of their own. So, uh, you know, enjoy, I'm sure people always tell you like, enjoy the time while you can, because after a while you sort of, yeah,
1: you know, you yeah. have a lot I of time on your hands. Yeah, they turn 13
0: and then you never see them again. So that's, you know, you've only got another 10 years to go or so until that, until that (laughs) moment. Yeah. Um, But, but then, okay. So, so then what is the process? Like, how are you searching for images for Hubble and I guess now for James Webb and for maybe other telescopes?
1: There's a few different ways you can go kind of random where you just say, hmm what was Hubble doing in 2003 in the month of June? <laughs> and just look at everything. You know, you can filter out the spectra or the, the calibration images and just scroll through some thumbnails. Uh,
0: anything that is that,
1: that, pops is that easy.
0: I great. mean, are there thumbnails or yes. Okay. Okay. So
1: it's, I, actually when I first put, uh, the mast website up I actually like they were looking for feedback and am like can i give them feedback as a non-astronomer random person i sent them and they're actually like really like happy happy like happy to treat everyone equally i think and even though i'm just as i feel like i'm a random person I, other people are like no no you're an astronomer you're, you're yeah <laughs> you're you can you can but anyway i always feel like an outsider and that, like i like I'm intruding into the astronomer's world, but I actually complain. I'm like, I need the thumbnails so badly. They need to be there. And they actually put them up. Like I think a week later, right. I probably already planned or something, but I just kind of gave them so, a little bit of motivation. Maybe, I don't know what I must've looked through them before that.
0: Me. Yeah. Cause I was following your tutorial and, and looking through the, the data on the James Webb server and all I could go by was my knowledge of what an object is to go. Okay, that's a galaxy. That's and it's a and it's a galaxy that's only thirty million light years away. So it's probably a nice picture. While that's a quasar, it's probably
1: like a zoom in of like a teeny little piece. Right. of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, galaxy. yeah.
0: It's a part of a, yeah. It's a part of a galaxy. It's going to be nice. But you know, while that object, that's a quasar, and so it's just going to be a blob of light, no matter how.
1: Oh, high no, no, resolution don't make assumptions that it about that.
0: Well, that's the thing. You don't know until you actually sit down and you take the time to look through it and and start to tease in the data. Yeah. So, but
1: with the quasars and space telescopes, like, yeah, from down here with the, a little telescope, all you're going to see is that point source. But with the space telescopes and the, their, uh, you know, massively good resolution and no atmosphere to deal with, a lot of the time you can see their host galaxy, it's pretty cool
0: huh yeah um okay fine the th- fine quasars are <laughs> interesting no no, no it's fine it's fine like the point is like i guess the, the point is you can't see the thumbnails of the little of the little objects but now you can thanks to you you've you've encouraged you them to provide thumbnails well
1: i don't think it's thanks to me i think they would have put it up eventually i was just sure telling. I just remember that day when I emailed them and I was like, I need the thumbnail, please, <laughs> please, this is so hard without them.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 HD 614. Like, is that a star? Is that an interesting star? Yeah. I can imagine looking, looking through that, that, that data. So then you go through Hubble archive data, James Webb data. Are there some other resources as well? Cause that, like the European Southern observatory has a beautiful archive system as well.
1: I don't, I, I'm not as familiar with that. I kind of stick with what I'm familiar with. So I only, I've only ever gone to that when I'm like desperate for say some color data or something, Mm. but you could absolutely search through that and probably do the same thing. There are
0: images of planetary disks in there. Yeah. Newly forming planetary systems. There are images of, of exoplanets, direct images of exoplanets.
1: I think they do a really good job of combing through their data and getting them all into press releases, but I'm sure there's a few in there too. I think they may have even done a contest for their own thing. No, I don't that, know. I tried using it and I felt like it was not <laughs> quite as robust as the MAST right.
0: system. But But there is an archive for almost every instrument out there, every spacecraft, mm-hmm. all of the NASA stuff. Juno. All the NASA stuff. Yes. Like yeah.
1: it's like, it's part of their contract. Like they're, they're obliged to do that. They have to, otherwise, you know, they're going to be in breach of their contract with the government.
0: Yeah. When people always say to me, like, why is NASA hiding images from the Curiosity rover? I'm like here, (laughs) take a look at the raw images, the Curiosity rover, 150,000 images, get to work, enjoy. Uh, they're all there. Every yeah. rock, every wheel, every turn of the <laughs> wheel, it's all imaged. So yeah. don't worry about it. Like,
1: oh, what's the wheel doing today? Ha- has it hit <laughs> another rock? Is it have another hole in it? I'm like,
0: yeah, I, mean,
1: <laughs> so, I had a guy one time who was like, why are you removing the cosmic rays from the images? Or I don't know. He, he was just like kind of one of those conspiracy kind of people. And yeah. I was, and I taught him like, you want cosmic rays? you got it. I'm going to teach you how. And I just gave him a really quick rundown of how to go through the archive and see all the cosmic rays that he could ever want. I'm like, yeah, if you can find out something about those cosmic rays, you're awesome, dude, but yeah, Yeah. have fun. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. You dig into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like, like when ground-based images are, are getting a satellite trail moving through their image or getting an airplane passing through, like you throw out those frames. They're they're not helpful. They're not giving you any value. Um, so then, so then, how do you pull the raw data into something that you can actually work with it?
1: Well, there's uh, a, another thing that Issa created for people like me who want to get the data and like take. It's called a FITS file. And I'm not going to try to remember what that stands for. Something, something transport (laughs)
0: layer, no layer system, system fits image. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, fits. F I T S. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's all I remember. But anyway, it's, it's an image. That's the important thing. It's an image. You take this thing called fits liberator and you can, you stretch the data however you want. And I, I find that it's just the best I've used. Like, the, the astronomical data DS9, they call it. I've used that. I can't get a good stretch out of that, no matter what I like, how hard I tinker with it. I cannot get a good stretch out of it. Fits Liberator. I, I just feel like it's the best. It I can get all of the the, the little faint stuff up until the very brightest, and yeah. not have it like everything be in, at zero, or everything be at one hundred, and I get everything between, I get the entire dynamic range with Fitz Liberator. I save it as a TIFF. You can save it as an 8-bit TIFF, which it's not very good. Like, it'll work if your computer is slow. But I usually just work with 16-bit. Uh, you can save it as 32-bit, but your computer will will just be like, what are you doing to me? Right, this right. This too hard. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> your computer will tank. So I, 16-bit is hard enough and good enough. So then you can open it with Photoshop.
0: And what are you, it, what are you opening out of that in Photoshop? You're getting separate layers of the different colors.
1: No, you get a black and white image. Uh, it's it, with JWST. It's not even aligned. You're going to get it at different scales. Like, cause with Miri, you're going to get something that's like much lower resolution. Right. Cause, cause the wavelengths are getting longer with Miri. And then with near cam, you're getting a higher resolution and then you're going to have to like scale the mirror data up to match that near cam. And then the way JWC works is like the cameras just kind of have like just a little, a little bit of rotation. So every single picture, it gets not, maybe the pipeline will fix this later. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what their plans are with that, but with it, it's just, the, the raw data, well, quasi raw because it's already gone through the pipeline, right? And, and so it's not technically raw at that point, but it's what it's close enough to raw that we could call it raw. But yeah, so each little filter is going to be like slightly off, and another slightly off, and then maybe a little bit off that way. So then you have to align each black and white image. And once they're aligned, then you can start deciding which channels you want those filters to, uh, to be seen through. Like, you want the Miri data to be in the red channel, and then maybe the Miri, uh, Miri the Cam data in the blue channel. Then maybe you've got something in between that can go in the green channel. But if not, that's fine. Then you can just do a two-color image. And, um, right. And so this idea of
0: like the Hubble, like when people think about classic images from the Hubble Space Telescope, like they think about things like the Pillars of Creation. Um and of course just, today. I know Yeah, we today? just got the Pillars of Creation from Webb. So did I'm you work just, on like, that? Or?
1: So many stars. Yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> um <laughs> a and, storm. and so those are multiple images captured by Hubble, recorded in black and white on different filters that then somebody is assigning different colors to those different filters to produce an image that looks like it's full color. Do do you think people realize how much this is open to interpretation in terms of color choices by image processors?
1: Some people do, but most people are probably we've tried i mean there's been a lot of outreach trying to explain it so i mean some people more more than used to know that you know it's it's been processed and this is not how your eyes would see it especially with you know jwc and all the infrared they they know i can't see infrared light and the most they know about infrared is it's like uh night vision cameras or you know yeah. when you see those uh temperature
0: uh yeah like i know a, what you mean the way you, you know, see I mean, like a you know like, like I mean. a heat yeah well the infrared yeah, camera the, the, you're map. seeing heat yeah like, yeah so yeah. they're
1: like i don't know it's i know like that it's ever since like chandra harvard the harvard people have been trying to figure out how to best explain it to the lay people. And they've come out actually with a, like they have this whole aesthetics and astronomy thing where you, you can read their papers that they've published explaining what worked best and what didn't work. And they find that it's best to just call everything light, like x-ray light and infrared light and visible light. And try to say like, compare it with it like obviously with Chandra since they're x-rays they can just say when you go to the doctor you get an x-ray and they take a picture of your bones and you know that you can't see that with your own eyes but a special camera can and you know that's a photo just like what you could take with your phone or something it's just a special camera that does the special wavelength that you can't see and I think that helps people a lot because they're very familiar with x-ray photography in that regard because of medicine and so then it's just another step up to say and now we do this with infrared too and that's just you know the other direction on the the, can't even say really electromagnetic spectrum because everybody learned about it in high school but not necessarily everybody figure I mean electromagnetic spectrum that just does not sound like Light, electromagnetic. That's like yeah. a zappy a zappy magnet. That's that's right. that's almost like a solid. Like I have a magnet in my hand and it will electrocute me. That's what it's. I yeah,
0: guess that's but what like it sounds like. This idea that, that radio <laughs> yeah. waves and microwaves and infrared and visible light and ultraviolet and X rays and gamma rays—they're all the same thing. They're just different wavelengths of the same radiation. And I think. It's become a lot more useful for people to understand this because what Webb is doing is it's observing galaxies that were visible, but now have been pushed into the infrared because of the expansion of the universe. Yeah, that's what's
1: really cool about the deep ones. Yeah, and
0: so when you're taking an image, when when you're showing off an image of a galaxy that was taken by Webb, you're you're kind of trying to reverse time. You're, you're pulling in these images at infrared wavelengths and then you're kind of going, but if you could see this galaxy with your own eyes today, this, these are the colors that you would see. How, how do you sort of approach
1: that? Like if you can go far enough back, I I don't even think like JWC hasn't even really done a true deep field yet.
0: No, unless it's, um,
1: yeah, unless it's a, you know, proprietary, but I don't,
0: they're yeah. working on the Cosmos Web is one of the main surveys that they're doing, and they've been releasing that in in bits and pieces. But there but there are plans to do a a GWT version of the Deep Field.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's really cool because by the time that light gets here, it's basically a visible wavelength, and it you can tell because when you process it. The, the filters actually start acting like RGB filters. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. this one, actually, it comes out in it. It's like, I don't have to do anything. With the with the nearby galaxies, it's like, you saw the, uh, was it Safer Sextet or was, no, wait, it was the other Quintet, Stephen's Quintet, right, right? Right,
0: Stephen's Quintet, yeah.
1: They had to work really hard to get those to not look like all green and, uh, yeah, the green is the big problem, like things, things look really green a lot of the time, like when you just go, okay, longest, red, medium, green, short, blue. It's, for whatever reason, everything just ends up mm-hmm. looking green, like we get these weird green galaxies. So you have to work really hard to make it look aesthetically pleasing because everybody, like, when they see the green, they're just like, this galaxy is sick.
0: Well, I happen. I think it's really cool. I've been I've been mentioning this a couple of times in some of the the QAs that I that I do. That I think you have figured out the web palette, which is these eldritch horror sick galaxies.
1: <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, right. Yeah, that's something that I I when I have a difficult set of filters, I started doing that with the Hubble data if you get that weird green hue you can instead of doing rgb do an orange and cyan which is a two color image and then start highlighting things and pushing it into that third color by adding say red for uh you know the the longest wavelength like overlay that red on top and then if you have like a shorter wavelength and overlay that blue on top and then you start gaining a lot more depth of color instead of just that, that, you know, orange and cyan. It's cause I mean, the orange and cyan can be very beautiful. It had those, the Jupiter image that was just two colors, mm-hmm. but they do. I mean, they feel like they're missing that dimension of color, that third dimension of color because the the green was just seriously, it was just, 50% of the red, 50% of the blue combined together. And now we, we just made up green. It's, and uh, so yeah, it, to push that dimensionality of color and give it that extra, like, oh, that's, that's more like, like I, with the, the eldritch horror, as you call it, like you can see these little dots of red. They look like my little berries, or I guess you could say creepy eyes or something, but, they give your eyes something to sort of like dart around and look at and focus on like, Mm -hmm. what are these things? Whereas if it was just orange and cyan, you would not have those little highlights of color. And they're not even like, they don't change the image a whole lot. And yet that tiny change makes a big difference aesthetically. So, So
0: I mean, fundamentally, is that what you're doing every time is you're kind of going, what's my red? What's my blue? What's my green?
1: A lot of times, yeah. Like if I just stir it together really quick at first, I'm like, oh, "Is this isn't working?" Most of the time with JWC, I'm like, "Yeah, this is okay." So then I will put it back to the black and white, and I'll look, study the each black and white thing and say, "Okay, well, this one seems to be very detailed, and I want to really like get this one to have the most him- impact on the image and then i to look at others like, but this really highlights something different. Like what's going on over here? Like, so this does need to be in. It's just not like the m- main basis of like, say the the tone of the image. Like there's, there's like the, there's color and then there's value, right? So for the values, you're you can really just look at, like the black and white part. And like when you see the entire, like the strongest structure in the galaxy, that's where I want my basis of the image. And then then you start focusing on the color. Well, well, that's what I do anyway. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know if other people do that. Yeah. So it's a lot of going back and forth between the black and the white and then trying to get the color to not only make sense in... A scientific way. Like if I just start throwing the colors randomly, uh so, like scientists, the astronomers themselves are gonna look at it and be like, why is it reversed? Because they know they've looked at enough pictures, they're gonna be like, that's a background galaxy, it should not be blue. And this right. is confusing. And uh <clears throat> so unless you put a big like thing in the in the description, be like, the colors are reversed here, which I really try to avoid that because then you have to explain it.
0: But, but I think about like, when you think about some of these, these objects, knowing the, the, the science of the, of the object is, is important. Like um, you've got the, like some of the galaxies, we talked about the elder Tor galaxy. In this case, Webb is showing you the, Uh, (laughs) the sun has has shown up web is showing you the the regions of star formation and in the other kinds of images where the galaxy is a lot farther away Webb is showing you regions that have been redshifted dramatically from what they were before and so they're they have different meaning like you have discovered things in your image processing that have led to scientific discoveries what happened
1: I think you're talking about the, the crepuscular rays galaxy, mm-hmm. right? IC 5063,
0: right? I see five, zero, six, three, right? I guess. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it, it was the crepuscular rays. That was the, that was the story that I remember right, that you, right. that you saw something and said, is this a lens flare? And then reach out to some astronomers.
1: I never thought it was a lens flare. I was just like, like blinking my eyes. Like, am I, is it an optical illusion? Like, are my eyes actually seeing what they, what I think they're seeing? So, yeah, I was just sort of like, it's sort of like if you sit here with your morning coffee and you check on the, what you check on the news, right? I was just looking at the archive and I was like, okay, I'm gonna basically just look at whatever happened in the past week. And I think it was Aaron Barth's his his survey of AGN, and I was just like, oh, those can be kind of neat. So I and I was like, this this looks promising. this thumbnail so i just took it into photoshop not knowing whether i'd get anything out of it or not i, it, I already knew it was, it's only one filter too this it it's like a snapshot survey i think and they don't even really get usually get like with snapshots <laughs> a lot of times it's just that's it you get a black and white but sometimes i just post those black and white images because they're still beautiful but anyway as soon as i opened it in photoshop In Fitz Liberator, I still couldn't see it. But when I opened it in Photoshop, I was like, there's like this faint, like, cone-shaped line. I'm like, that's weird. (laughs) Because it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like, you know those, uh, like, some galaxies can have the peanut bulge, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like the X. Plus, I'm not viewing it edge-on quite. So I'm just like, what could this be? And I know it's an AGN because I, I knew that before I even downloaded it. So immediately I thought, could this be shadows? Could these be rays of shadows that are being cast by this bright nucleus? I don't know. So <laughs> I'm like trying to temper my excitement of finding something that I've never seen before with realistically, because I've done this before where I'm like, Ooh, I found something neat. And then later on, it turns out I was wrong. So I'm trying desperately to keep telling myself, like, you're probably wrong, Judy. This is nothing, you know, you've done this before. And <laughs> so I just, like, go post it to Twitter. And then, uh, you know, see see what the astronomers who follow me, like, who just happen to see it, see what they think. And... <laughs> It gave them pause too. Mm-hmm. So they're like, hmm. <laughs> and a few were just like, oh, this is just, you know, and I still think some of them are, they don't think that it's actual shadows, but it is yet to have been really confirmed. They've tried, we've been trying a few, a few times now to get more Hubble time to try to confirm or deny whether or not they are. <laughs> I think two times now that, I mean, the first time it was fourth, fourth quintile, but then the the most recent one I think was the first quintile. Just still didn't quite make it.
0: And so, if it's but- if it's real, then you've got this actively feeding supermassive black hole at the heart of the galaxy that is surrounded by column a pillar of, of dust and it's casting a shadow out into space
1: right it's like a dust donut around the light so yeah. you've got the light the light in the center and depending on how that dust is angled it's going to be casting light and shadows and you know depending on which way yeah. <laughs> so for with this one i think that it's sort of a I've got a picture of it, but I can't show it right now. It's yeah, like a, no. a distorted uh a distorted torus of dust where there's sort of a like here's here's your edgewise donut, and then they've got sort of another one like lifted up and crossing it like this. So we've got sort of two two donuts, but I mean it's it's a it's a difficult shape to describe, but because there's two of them we've got two shadows coming yeah. out and so that's what they think that's what, also kind of hope because it's just neat if it is. so I really hope that it that's what it is. I hope it's not just it because it also it is a disturbed galaxy it's it's had some interaction in the past and you can see obviously that it, it's not you know a perfect disk. <laughs> it's very well
0: you're bringing a good scientific skepticism to, the potential. And so I think that's, that's important. And I, there was another recent image that came out of web that I'm sure everybody is quite familiar with these really cool concentric circles coming out of this Wolf Rye star. Yeah. And, uh, I'm
1: glad that you said that correctly. I, I did an interview recently where I just say, I kept saying Rayet, it. And then after the interview, I was like, that's not how you say that guy's name. It's Rayet."
0: <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Um,
1: this is why I can't watch myself.
0: <laughs> um but but it, it's funny but so you once again you were like what is this what, am, is this real am i seeing this and i i gotta confess that i get a lot of news um stories out of you and i will often watch your twitter you put together an interesting image i'll usually nancy atkinson will pick up the story and she's she's gonna write the the article about it and and in this case, we got stopped short by the scientists, and they were like, "Please don't write about it yet. We're working on it, and we want to have something that's peer reviewed before yeah, we do it." I, I felt so, bad. after. That. So we <laughs> sat on the story, and we were the only ones who sat on the story, and we waited patiently until the scientists gave us the go ahead, while everybody like, else, everybody else, is just like, wildly aliens. speculated about it. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> So, yes. but, yeah. but you were the source. Like I had never seen anything like it and, and you had had done yeah. some basic image processing on it and just said, this is weird. And I don't know what's going on. And does anybody know? Yeah. And it just led to this whole big thing. And I love that.
1: I know. And I couldn't be more sorry to the uh, the guy that actually like the PI. Cause he, he's just, I mean, I, I could just feel him like shaking his head at this whole Twitter thing. I'm just like, I'm sorry, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that's the heart of it, is that it's awesome. But right. it's really cool, and it's an interesting mystery, and don't worry if you don't know what it is. It's okay. Yeah. But, but.
1: Yeah. I, I, just the other day I got someone saying, this isn't real. This is just, or, I don't know, they come up with this silly, silly, like, this is actually just a light echo, or this is quantum something, something. I'm like, I'm just going to ignore you.
0: (laughs) Any of those would be fine. Those would be also be really interesting. Any of that's perfectly acceptable.
1: It's not that. No, no. But even I can tell you that it's not a light light echo because they've taken data from, you know, X point in time to Y point in time. Mm -hmm, And it's mm -hmm. not moving like a light echo. It's just not.
0: Now, if people want to get into doing this kind of image processing work, and I highly recommend Space Geck on Twitter, follow Judy's Flickr, account, some of the most amazing images are there. And again, it is a, it is a fresh list of images that you will have never seen anywhere else, or you will see them on Judy's feed first. And then you'll see them on astronomy picture of the day and on the NASA picture of the day and in a, attached to a press release and, and and so on and so forth. So I highly recommend it. But if people want to follow in your footsteps, because I, I feel like you're kind of drinking from a fire hose of data and that there's I feel sad for the enormous amounts of cool images that nobody will ever see because nobody's taken the time to sit down and, and look into them and dig them out.
1: They will eventually. I just, uh, oh my gosh, I've been taking such a long break. I feel so bad because, um, I just have not posted anything in over a month now. So,
0: (laughs) but if people want to follow in your footsteps,
1: I actually like,
0: what's the best way to do it?
1: If they want to follow in my footsteps, first off, uh, look at the look at the tutorial that
0: yeah, I. We'll, put all right, we'll post here. a link to your tutorial in the show notes right. so people can can so, can find all the sources and the software and stuff.
1: Wow, this thing that. that I have been working on—it's got—it's a part of the early release data, but it's got it's got twelve filters. It's a big. I've been trying to clean it up and make it all pretty. Let me switch back to myself real quick. Uh, but I actually, my plan with that is to put a Photoshop file on Google drive and let anyone download it Nice and process it the way they want and see what they come up with. And I feel like that's one of the great ways to learn yeah. not only about how to process, but how to look at scientific data. And start understanding that how like how astronomers see it. So that's what I want to do. I've just been like really dragging my feet on it. I've actually I I did come up with a way of quickly getting those stars filled in and it looks pretty decent too. And I just have to do like the last ten percent of cleaning up cosmic rays and making sure it's aligned and then I can post it and then people can have fun with it.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I need to do it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean I think that like your trick of not trying to be the astrophotographer and the image processor was really wise. And and after you sort of explained it to me, I'm like, "Oh, I totally get it." Because like why not work with the best possible data from the best possible telescope, hone your image skills? And yeah, if you want to take your own pictures, go ahead, but but you will always feel sad that your technical ability to display the images doesn't match your vision. But if you go the other way around, really hone your craft in, in, in working with the underlying images, then when you do your own astrophotography, you'll know how to take better pictures to Produce a better final image. And I think a lot of people go the opposite way. And I think your way is exactly right. And in your case, you will n- probably never take your own pictures, but still, um, <laughs> but I think it's the right way to approach. So yeah. people want to become, and so people always ask me, like, I want to buy a telescope. I want to get into astrophotography. What should I do? My advice is becoming do what Judy does, learn to get really good at image processing. Then your data will make you really happy when you try to do your, when you actually start taking your own pictures.
1: That's awesome. I never, I never thought about it, but it like that, but it does like, that does make perfect sense. It really is two separate skills. And if you don't like, yeah, like to get good data is one thing, but then man, if you finally get that really good data and you can't, you don't know how to process it. That really would. Like that would be sad. Yes. Because like like man. I But think we I've even did this. Before,
0: we, too. I took a bunch of pictures. I couldn't make it do anything. I send them over to you. you were like I just took a minute and it was a thousand times better than anything I was able to produce. Because you just Aww. knew what you were doing. And so that's the feeling that I had. I was like, why I'm doing this the wrong way. I shouldn't be learning to use a telescope. I should be learning to image process. And then I'll come back around and use the telescope once I know what I'm doing with the images. Because that's the final output. And I think it's really important. Well, Judy, it's been-
1: yeah, lots of practice data that anyone can That's exactly use. it. Yeah,
0: you got 30 uh, years of Hubble data and now you're, <laughs> and now the James Webb data is starting to pile up plus the ESO data, plus Curiosity, it, it goes on and on. Well, Judy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the contribution that you make to the astronomical community. Um, like I said, I follow your work religiously it turns into a lot of stories on Universe Today, and I know that you're making a difference in the scientific community as well. And I know a lot of people out there really appreciate what you're doing. So thank you,
1: thank you, uh, Fraser, and you're almost welcome.
0: All right, I look forward Glad to I look forward to this picture <laughs> finally being released.
1: Right, I, uh, maybe this will finally motivate me to go in and finish
0: it. Awesome. All right, take care. <laughs> All, All right, right, bye, Bye-bye. You can get even more space news in my weekly email newsletter. I send it out every Friday to more than 55,000 people. I write every word. There's no ads, and it's absolutely free. Subscribe at universetoday.com newsletter. You can also subscribe to the Universe Today podcast. There you can find an audio version of all our news, interviews, and Q&As, as well as exclusive content. Subscribe at universetoday.com podcast, or search for Universe Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A huge thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and helps us stay independent. Thanks to all the interplanetary researchers, the interstellar adventurers, and the galaxy wanderers. And a special thanks to Josh Schultz and Andrew M. Gross who support us at the master of the universe level. All your support means the universe to us.